your nutrition training is just as important as your physical training. If you don't practice your nutrition, you're going to be at a loss. The Triathlon Show, episode 22. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and on today's show, we have an interview with Steph Solo, who is a registered dietitian and performance nutritionist at Reader Sports Performance. So we go back to nutrition, which is a topic that we first discussed in episode eight when we had Kim Schwabenbauer on and in today's interview, we talk about some of the same things, but some new things that we didn't get to into with Kim, like, for example, supplements and uh, how you should uh, specifically plan your fueling in the hours leading up to workouts and even the day before and uh, so on and so forth. We also go into some listener questions that you guys have been sending in at the end of the episode. So it's going to be a good one and I'm sure that you will enjoy it. I think that nutrition is one of the topics that is the most requested on the show and on Scientific Triathlon as well for blog posts. So I'm very happy to have another talk about nutrition for triathletes. I'm recording this episode on the 10th of May of 2017 and actually only a couple of days ago by the time of this recording I started my own nutrition experiment where I'm actually now counting calories of what I eat and also of course uh, I know the calories that I burn during training pretty accurately so uh, so I'm really really getting more accurate on that front and uh, the reason for this is that I want to drop a couple of kilograms before the national championships at sprint distance in five weeks from now and i'm going into my heaviest period of training now these coming weeks so i mean this is not optimal what i do because i should have done this a long time ago back in january or february and then stayed at a constant weight but i didn't i was a bit lazy about that and some weeks i was doing good nutrition wise and uh shedding some weight but not too much so just the way that you should do obviously you should never shed too much weight too fast but uh, then other weeks I didn't and I uh, ate too much and uh, there was too much going on and festivities and so on so so I never really got to what I consider to be my best racing weight well I'm trying to rectify that now even if it's late and that requires me to be really really accurate about what I'm doing because I don't, I can't go into these big hard training weeks and then and just completely under fuel. I need to be very sure that I'm within, let's say, 300 kilocalories of uh, what I'm actually expending during the day and not leave more than a 300 calorie deficit. So what I'm doing is I actually created a spreadsheet and I selected a few basic meals and snacks that I will eat, and that's all I will eat for. A couple of weeks basically i will make some exceptions for example maybe once a week going out to to dinner with my girlfriend and then for during work hours we actually eat at a lunch restaurant so so i don't count 
specific calories from that but i know fairly well how much i'm eating from that so but everything else like breakfast dinner and snacks i have under complete control to the kilo calorie level how much i'm eating and how much i'm expending so i can get a very accurate picture of for example using a rest day as a reference how much did i eat during a rest day and did that affect my weight at all if it didn't which uh, I actually have done now, that was the first day of the test, then I know what my baseline is and how much I can eat to say at a constant weight. And then when I start training or when, when I do train, which is all the other days except rest days, I know exactly how much I can eat to get to that to the 300 kilocalorie deficit that I want to uh, drop some weight, but do it very, very gradually and carefully to hopefully get that two or even three kilograms off by the time that the national championships roll around so the way i can use this more specifically is that for example one of my staple meals is an oatmeal with mixed with eggs and uh, curd and berries and a banana usually so i have a spreadsheet where i have entered the calorie contents of each of those ingredients for a basic serving size and then i just enter how many serving sizes of each i used so for example let's say the banana was uh, the serving size is 100 grams in my spreadsheet and the banana that i actually put in the oatmeal is uh, 175 grams then i just wait quickly which i can do in five seconds and and then I enter 1.75 in the actual used servings uh, category in the spreadsheet. And, and I do the same for all the other ingredients. But I basically, I don't change much. It's the, pretty much the same from day to day, uh, unless it's a rest day. But uh, so, so it's very easy and very fast. Once I have those few staple meals and their caloric contents in the spreadsheet, then it's plug and play and very fast. So... So I've, I've found that I actually, at some point earlier, I think a year ago, I used my fitness pal to count calories. And it's a great, great app. I highly recommend it. But I think it just took too much time from me. I didn't really find that I wanted to take that much time, even if it was just five minutes extra to prepare for every meal, or maybe five to seven minutes extra. But with this system that I have now, just choosing those staple meals and creating them once, it's one minute, one minute per meal, nothing more. So that's something that I wanted to talk about related to nutrition. And I'll keep you posted on how it goes. And if anybody's interested in seeing that spreadsheet, then shoot me an email to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And that's Michael with a K. And uh, I can send you a copy of the spreadsheet and you can uh, adapt it to your own needs. All right, uh, so without any further ado, let's go and listen to Steph Solo and our interview on nutrition for triathletes. Welcome, Steph. I'm super happy to have you. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. So I am, like you said, a registered dietitian, a performance nutritionist here in the United States. Uh, but I work with people. Um, I've worked with people abroad as well, uh, remotely, because we have nice technology that can do that. Um, I work with mostly endurance athletes, but I have some strength athletes, some competitive bodybuilder, or some, not, not bodybuilders, uh, some competitive weightlifters that I work with as well. So um, I think my 
Performance nutrition runs the gamut, although most, like I said, mostly, mostly endurance sports come my way. Okay, that's, that's really good to hear. And uh, obviously our audience is, uh, there are endurance athletes and uh, triathletes mostly. And uh, yeah, we have an action-packed show here and let's dive into the first question. And uh, what I want to ask you about first is macronutrients because there's, there's so much so much going on about macronutrients. Uh, every single day you read in newspapers about uh, fats and carbs and proteins and stuff. So now I want to hear your take about macronutrients for endurance athletes specifically and uh, things like ratios, the correct ratios, if there is something like that for for different kinds of, of endurance athletes at different ability levels. So feel free to dive, yeah. dive quite deep into this topic. Yeah. I. I think you nailed it right there and in, 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 in opening up the question because there is so much information out there and it's sometimes conflicting, right? So it's important to take a step back because nutrition is, uh, you don't need to get caught up in the numbers. I mean, yes, we do talk about ratios. We do have some, some, some science to support some ratios, but it's not really that important to get hung up on the ratios, especially if you're not competing at an elite level. If you're competing for fun, if you are an age grouper, you know, it's not, it's not life or death. <laughs> it's, it's really about really setting a foundation. And I know this sounds so silly, but I go back to this all of the time. It's setting a foundation of fruits and vegetables and lean protein and whole grains and good fats and getting an adequate fluid and getting hung up on the numbers is not necessary at all. Really. You know, if you think about, I like to tell people each meal as sort of a plate. And I know that we eat on plates, but we don't really eat in compartments, right? We eat in sometimes mixed dishes. You know, if you think of spaghetti and meatballs, like that's all sort of in on the plate together. But if you were to picture your plate sort of divided up, you would want most of it to be fruits and vegetables. You would want, you know, 25-ish percent of it to be protein. Um, and then you'd want some of it to be carbohydrates. Now, if you're, if there are really high intensity days, if you're working really at a high intensity, maybe for a longer duration and a high volume, then you want to shift the, what your plate looks like a little bit. So maybe you're taking in a little bit of less of fruits and vegetables and more of those whole grains and more of those carbohydrate rich foods and, and fruits and vegetables fall into the carbohydrate category. But we, we usually separate them out when we talk about the quote unquote performance plate, like what's the ideal performance plate. And that's, you know, depending on whether it's a high intensity day or a low intensity day, but most of the time it's a solid foundation of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and lean protein and good fat and adequate fluid. And, and getting hung up on the numbers is, is that isn't needed. <laughs> that kind of answer. Yeah, that's, your that, that's, that's a very good point. And one, one analogy that I heard was that most people can get 80% of the benefits from uh, optimizing their nutrition with the knowledge that they knew as a six year old, because uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's basically just agnostic, healthy eating. So, uh, yeah, yeah and you, and you nailed it right there. Like you have to set the foundation of a healthy diet first and then comes your performance diet. If your diet is crap, then you can't implement a performance diet. You need to work on setting up a solid, healthy foundation diet first and then work up to some of those, those more intricate things, maybe nutrient timing. I know that you want to talk a little bit about that too. So getting into those things later 
yeah, that's important, especially if you're trying to get to the next level. But if you're not even there, if you're not even, if you don't even have a healthy foundation first, then you have to work on that first. Yeah, that's great. So let's say that we are somebody who has been struggling with uh, getting that foundation in place. So what are some tips that you would give a person like that for setting up that foundation for really good, healthy eating? Yeah, the first thing I would recommend is try to get in some fruits and vegetables at every single meal. I say every single meal because most of the time we end up at the end of the day and we say, oh crap, I forgot to eat some vegetables today. I've only eaten X, Y, and Z and none of it was vegetables. And fruit's usually easier to get in than vegetables. Most people lack more on vegetables, but at least here in the U.S. But if you try to incorporate some fruits and vegetables at every single meal, that's a good step. You know, and it doesn't have to be a lot. And we're not talking a whole plate full of vegetables. We're saying, you know, eat you know, a side of broccoli here, incorporate some spinach into your omelet or add a banana to your breakfast or throw in a sliced apple or grab a can of mandarin origins. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. Just you have to try to focus on it for a little while. And then after a while, it becomes a habit. And then you don't even have to think about it, but it takes time to develop the habit. You're not going to do this overnight and be like, oh, boom, I'm healthy now. I started incorporating fruits and vegetables into my diet because I did it for one day. No, it's going to take some thought, especially if you're not used to doing it and you have to remind yourself to do it every single day, at every single meal. And like I said, it doesn't have to be one thing is better than nothing. And, and that's a step in the right direction. And once you get there, then, like I said, it becomes more of a habit and you don't even, you don't even think about it. Yeah. So do you have any specific hacks or tricks that you can, or systems in place that you can that you tell people that you work with for how to, how to set up those habits? Um, you know, sometimes I tell people to set reminders on their phone just because they always have their phone. And I know it sounds silly, but, you know, just setting a simple reminder is remind me every day at 8, 8 a.m. to eat a piece of fruit with my breakfast or whatever time it is you eat your breakfast or eat your lunch or, you know, so that you can remind yourself or do you pack your lunch the night before, before you go to work, you know, set yourself a reminder so that you can do that. And once you, if you really have trouble remembering a simple reminder on your phone is probably the easiest solution, especially if you're, you know, not good at writing things down or putting post-it notes on the refrigerator or whatever else you could do. But since you, most people always have their phone with them, I just say, tell them to put reminders on their phone. Yeah, that's, that's really smart. So moving into, as you alluded to, we, we are going to talk about nutrient timing, but we can also combine that with, uh, in general, just uh, what you eat and, and continue on with this diet conversation. But if you want to get to the next level, as he said, and get those final percentage points out of your nutrition and really optimize it for performance, then what are the main things that you would tell an athlete, an endurance athlete to do? First, I would say, okay, we're set the foundation, develop a healthy diet. And then second, you want to ensure that you're getting an adequate energy, especially, I know sometimes especially triathletes, you know, they go through a phase of, you know, most, many times they compete at a different weight than they train at, right? You're working up to maybe cut a little bit of weight before you actually go into a competition. And sometimes that hurts you. So making sure that you get an adequate energy so that you can perform at your best is really important. 
The other thing that can help sort of optimize your performance is to incorporate some training with lower carbohydrate. And when I say that, I mean training in jeopardy, but perhaps take a few days that are maybe lower intensity or shorter duration sessions that you're working on and work on eating lower carbohydrate that day so that your body gets used to lower carbohydrate availability and you'd be able to not have to fuel refuel as often and you'd be able to work off your fat stores for longer. So again, it's about incorporating some of those lower carbohydrate days into your training sessions um, in order to get to get used to, to training at a lower level and then the, you'll be able to use your fat source for longer. Um, but number one, making sure you're training with adequate energy. I think that's one common mistake that people make is that they just forget to eat enough and then they wonder why they're not able to compete at a level they want to compete at because they're not getting in enough energy. Um, and, you know, the other thing I come back to is science is slow sometimes, and sometimes we're just little guinea pigs working on ourselves because we have science that says one thing doesn't mean it's the best approach for you. So if you try something and it doesn't work, that means you might have to try something else. And if your friend is doing something or your teammates doing something and it works for them, it may not work for you. So, you know, allowing adequate time to prepare yourself and to try things to make sure that that's ideal for you and that you're actually getting some benefit out of it is really important because you could read research all day, but it may not be applicable to you. You may be the outlier. You may be, you know, research is you know, based on sometimes a very small set of people and sometimes it's not the exact population that you are. So you might not fit into that category. So it's really about being pragmatic and being practical and not getting hung up on what the science says, but being being practical in your everyday life. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And that's something that I can be guilty of myself, just trying to be too focused on the analytics and what we know based on research. But but you make an excellent argument there that, that you are not necessarily the average that the research uh, shows. Uh, so yeah, you can be the outlier and need to work with, with a different approach than what is supposedly the best. So about the nutrient yeah. timing that we were talking about, uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, there are various approaches to nutrient timing, but in general, you want to think about let's say first going back to, okay, when are you exercising or when are you training? When are you competing? And then working back from there. So you want to have, you know, some sort of meal, let's say four hours before. Well, if it's early in the morning, then maybe that meal is the night before and then allowing adequate time in the morning to eat something, whether that's, you know, a small breakfast, depending on how your body reacts. And, and again, going back to, I think I say this every single time I have a talk with somebody, your nutrition training is just as important as your physical training. If you don't practice your nutrition, you're going to be at a loss. So knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you is super important. So incorporating that into your training plan weeks, months beforehand is where you need to be. So hour mark before or even that night before that's more of a complete meal you know if you've got whole grains and fruits and vegetables and lean protein and good fats lots of food groups 
you approach exercise, the meals get probably smaller, usually, depending on how much you can handle, and they become more focused on carbohydrates by themselves. So if you were to consume something, you know, two hours before, maybe you can handle some protein. An hour before, maybe you can handle a little bit of protein, but that carbohydrate is the most important piece. And then 15 minutes before, you want just carbohydrate. And then during activity, it's going to be dependent upon how long you're going to be exercising for or doing that activity for. If it's something less than an hour, most of the time you don't need anything besides water. If it's beyond an hour, then you need to think about how long you're going for. You know, we're talking about you know, really long events versus really short events. You know, triathlons are on the gamut. So really thinking about and then uh, working in what you need. So it really depends. Usually, you know, if you're, if you have an event that's three hours or less, then usually you're getting by with carbohydrate, electrolytes, and water, anything after that, then maybe you're also incorporating some protein just because you're also hungry. Um, and, and, and going back to what I said earlier about maybe training some of those low car- lower carbohydrate days to get your body used to working off those fat stores, and then when you're able to go for longer without refueling and working off those fat stores for longer. And then nutrient timing after, it's always important to refuel no matter what. And again, going back to the ratios, does it matter? Maybe. Does it, the point, the important thing is that you actually eat something because you're probably hungry and you want to start that rebuilding and repairing process. And also, you know, putting back that glycogen that you, that you lost and that you used. So putting back carbohydrate, putting back protein after and putting back fluid and electrolytes is important after. So that was sort of really quick going before, during and after, but um, just a, a, a good snapshot of, of what you need to consider when, and it really ultimately comes down to how long is the activity lasting for, you know, what is your intensity, um, and, and how much can you actually tolerate? Yeah, that's, that's really excellent stuff, Steph. And, uh, yeah, I think it was a really great snapshot actually, and, and people can get a lot of value from that. So the next question that I have is about supplements. So are there any supplements that triathletes or endurance athletes should consider taking or that are maybe they should check whether they need or not? And are, they, are there some supplements that people should generally avoid that are maybe overused? Yeah, so there's, there are quite a few supplements that I think are beneficial, especially in endurance capacity. One of them is caffeine. Uh, caffeine can help to improve mental alertness and help to improve... Uh, maybe prolonged exercise, you want to take caffeine 60 minutes before your activity begins, and then the effects are going to last for three to four hours. So if you're engaging in an event that lasts for longer than three or four hours, then maybe you're taking in more caffeine during the event to sort of boost it up. Okay, so it all comes down to, again, how long is that event or how long is that training session? Um, another supplement that I think is not utilized enough in endurance sports, but is, is becoming more popular, and that's creatine. Creatine can help to, to um, not only enhance your strength, which I think it's more commonly known for, but also to help boost some of your power. So getting that creatine in and, and getting your creatine stores up there 
is important. So you're not, you're not starting to take creatine the week before your event. You're really working on working creatine into your exercise and training plan earlier on. Um, another one would be uh, beta alanine. And I think this is one that's a little bit newer on the horizon. I, I, we've been studying it for a little while, but I think not a lot of people have been talking about it. But this is another one where you can beta alanine helps you to feel like you can um, go a little bit longer or not a, your your exertion doesn't feel as if you you don't feel as if you've, you've exerted yourself as much as you have. So it helps sort of um, take out that piece of, of your perceived exertion, if that makes sense. Um, but again, you want to focus on taking beta alanine. You want you need to load it. So you have to focus on taking that before you get to that event time, you know, you don't take it the day before or even a week before you need some time, at least four weeks to, to load that into your plan. A couple other ones that may be beneficial on the endurance athlete side are tart cherry juice, which can help with, with muscle recovery um, and soreness. And then the beetroot, which I think is pretty common in the endurance area. Although I think a lot of the beetroot research is focused on some of the more shorter duration events. But again, this goes back to practicality. If you've tried it and it works for you, and by all means, you know, you feel comfortable taking it and you're not taking too much and you're getting that supplement from a reputable source, then by all means, you know, you know, you should take it. Another one that sort of just, um, back pocket is a multivitamin and, and it's not something that everybody needs and you have to look at your diet as an as overall but some people don't get in enough nutrients so I like to look at a multivitamin as sort of an insurance plan so you can take it and boom you know you have your vitamins and minerals there it is not a substitute for fruits and vegetables. It is not a substitute for a healthy diet. But like I said, it's sort of an insurance plan. So you're like, oh no, you know, I, I maybe didn't get in all of my nutrients today, but you have that multivitamin to sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, back you up. So I think those are the ones that I think are maybe the most common or could be the most helpful. Um, and then of course there's like omega-3s. Of course, if you don't eat a lot of fatty fish, we know that there's a lot of health benefits to, to having omega-3s in your diet. So just having those around is, is important. And, and if you're eating enough fish, fatty fish specifically, then you don't need to take a supplement. But if you're not, then you may consider taking an omega-3 supplement. Those I think would be the useful ones. The ones that are probably not so useful, um, there's a lot of them, but I would say that anything that claims to do miracles is one you should stay away from. And there are a lot of them out there. I mean, we can't even really keep up with uh, some of the supplements that are coming out every day. And it's unfortunate that there's an irresponsible industry out there, but there's also a responsible industry. So you just really have to be careful. So any crazy claims to, you know, make you think that you can improve your performance beyond what you ever thought you could is probably too good to be true. So leave that one on the shelf. And, and, and some of these might be like things like pre-workout supplements uh, that are pretty popular, uh, fat burners that are really probably things you should just stay away from. Um, there, 
I think that really comes down to the most unuseful is the ones that make the most claims. Um, I just want to say one thing about supplements is because there, it can be a problem. You just want to make sure that you're what you're putting into your body and you're getting your supplements from a trusted and reputable source and that they're third party verified so that you can be sure that they have what they say they have. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't test positive for a banned substance in a drug test if you do have to have a drug test, but it can um, give you some better assurance that you'll, you won't test positive because most of those companies that are using third-party verification systems are less likely to have banned substances in those products, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, you told us a bit about the ones that uh, the supplements that we should stay away from. But in a broader sense, are there any nutritional myths or fads that maybe uh, athletes should stay away from, or that you would at least uh, encourage a cautious approach to, or that there might be they, they claim to to be more than they actually are? Anything yeah. You debunk. A lot of them out there, and I would say. Any diet, quote unquote diet, is going to probably give you some sort of result. If you follow it to a T for a long period of time, um, you have to go back to whether or not it's sustainable. And I think, you know, it changes year to year, but it seems like this year, in the past couple years, you know, there's been a lot of paleo followers and clean eating followers. I don't, I don't really know what that term means, but you should be wary of claims in general. So even like just the supplements, but even diets that make claims to do things really fast are probably not going to be a sustainable approach. They may work in the short term, but probably not for the long term. And just going back to there's no pill, there's no potion, there's no magic solution. You know, some people come to me and think I have a magic wand that I'm hiding. And I don't, I really don't. I really have no magic wand in my back pocket that will be like, poof, you are now the best athlete ever. And I didn't even have to do anything except wave my magic wand. That's not what I do. Uh, and I think a lot of people think that's, that is what I do. And they, they're really looking for that solution. And unfortunately, it doesn't exist. If it did, <laughs> if it did, I wouldn't have a job, right? <laughs> so uh, just remembering that there's no quick fix solution and it's, you know, it's ever changing year to year. But any fad diet that you, that you hear about more than likely is not a sustainable option for a long period of time. Like I said, it may work for a short period of time. You should be like, Steph, I tried that and it works. Awesome. Well, did you follow it for a really long period of time? And if the answer is no, then okay, I'll give you that it worked. But is it something you want to do forever to keep your performance where it's at? Then probably not. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So let's now move into the rapid fire question segment. Five quick questions. What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports or nutrition? Yeah, so I think my favorite resource um, would have to be the Guru Performance We Do Science We Do Science podcast, and I would say it's not specifically endurance related, but it is performance nutrition related, and there are various performance nutrition topics, uh, and he does 
a fabulous job of bringing experts on to talk about topics from you name it, he's covered it. So I think that's probably my favorite resource for nutrition in general. Yeah. What's your favorite snack? My favorite snack. Can it be an unhealthy snack? It can be an unhealthy <laughs> snack, yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite snack would be a good chocolate chip cookie. I love I love a good chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> and that, that's the right answer. <laughs> so what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment for sports or nutrition? Cooking, maybe. Um, I think my favorite piece of gear. For, let's see, my favorite piece of gear. I have a pretty cool light on my bike that I really like. <laughs> so, I don't know that it's actually, uh, it would be my favorite. It's, pre it's pretty bright. I can charge it with a USB plug. I don't have to replace the batteries. It, it can take it on and off really easily. So I'm going to go with my light and I have no idea what brand it is or uh, where I got it from, but it's my favorite piece of equipment. <laughs> What did your daily meal plan look like yesterday? Okay, yesterday I had for breakfast some coffee and then I had yogurt with sliced almonds and some shredded coconut. And then for lunch I had a, a quesadilla-ish type wrap. I, I, I heated up my wrap in the in the oven with turkey and cheese and then had leftover Brussels sprouts. And then uh, I had, we had chocolate cake leftover from an event this weekend. So I had chocolate cake after lunch. And then for dinner, I had, I'm a big exercise for dinner. I mean, exercise for dinner. I'm a big <laughs> breakfast for dinner person. So we had eggs and over vegetables or something in the fridge so we threw those in there um and then later on i had a i have these yogurts like chocolate yogurts that i like to eat at night because they're really they're like sweet but they're yogurt so they're not like eating ice cream but they're delicious so i had that later i think that was my my meal plan yesterday cool and, I, and you noticed that there was not enough fruits and vegetables. See, I'm not perfect. Okay. It's okay. It's okay to <laughs> from time to time. You can, you can still have, have a generally healthy, healthy, healthy eating habit and, and, and still be allowed to, to make those sorts of slips. That's right. Fin finally, do you have a productivity hack that helps you fit everything into your life? Yeah, I wish. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I think my my productivity hack would be putting everything on my calendar and I mean everything cleaning on my calendar so that, you know, if it's on the calendar, it means there's a time for it and it's going to get done. So everything goes on the calendar, has a time. There's a little ding alert that says it's time to do this now and calendar. Yeah, that, that's a great answer. I'm actually starting to do that myself. I, I heard it on the productivity podcast that I'm listening to, and and it's uh, it's really a powerful habit to schedule everything. Yes. So yeah. So the first one is, 
Hi, Steph. I'm afraid I've gotten into the habit of binge eating at night. It happens around once or twice per week, and usually when I'm pretty tired, whether it be from hard training or lack of sleep. What can I do to break this habit? All right. Well, this is a very common habit. Um, and the good thing is, is that you've recognized that it's happening and you've recognized how often that it's happening, which is not, which is usually the hardest part. So um, to help combat this, you might want to take a look at what you're eating during the day. It's most people binge eat at night because they're not eating enough during the day. And I don't know what kind of activities are going on. If you're training really hard or if you're trying to lose weight or if you're trying to gain weight, whatever it may be, um, just take a step back and look at what you're eating during the day and try to pinpoint, you know, are you feeling hungry during the day that you're not paying attention to? And then that's therefore causing you to overeat at night, which is usually the case. Um, in many cases, you binge eat because you're bored and you have nothing else to do. But in most cases, especially um, if you pinpointed it a couple of times, it just may be a case of just under eating at other times during the day. So I encourage you to sort of be very self-aware during the day. And I, I, I work with a lot of people to try to get them back in tune to their hunger cues, which is not very easy sometimes. But really taking a step back to say, you know, every time before I eat, you know, assessing whether or not you're hungry, how hungry you actually are. And then halfway through your meal, assessing your hunger again. Are you still hungry? Are you, you know, feeling sickly full? Or are you taking a moment to just be in the, in the present and assess your hunger is a really helpful tool to, to get your body um, to really understand what your body is trying to tell you. Because your body is really smart, right? We know we've, we've lived a long time to get here. And our hunger cues are one of those things that have helped us to do that. Yeah, that's great. And the final question, because we're running out of time, that we're going to take is also related to uh, the health side of eating. And uh, it is uh, John that's asking, I've been raised on fast food and snacks my entire life. Now as a 35-year-old, I'm getting into triathlon and I'm doing sports for the first time in my life. I want to get into healthy eating, but there's so much information out there that I feel overwhelmed about where to start. What are your top two or three tips for how I should change my diet? And you already covered some of these, but just go through them quickly again. So, to Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. Don't, you know, don't try to tackle it all at once. Don't go cold turkey and be like, I'm never eating fast food again. Cause really you're going to fail and then you're going to feel bad about it. And we don't want that. So take it one step at a time, one meal at a time, perhaps, you know, maybe you start with breakfast and you incorporate a fruit or a vegetable at breakfast. Like that's one step in a healthier direction. Right. And then you, you know, the next week, if you were able to do it for a whole week, of incorporating a fruit or vegetable at breakfast, then you go for lunch. Or maybe you start doing it at snacks, but tackle it one meal at a time. And know that you know you can eat fast food or eat out and make healthful choices. It's just about making the right choices. You don't have to be slaving over a hot stove every single night making dinner to be healthy. You just need to know what choices to make. And there are plenty of options out there, especially today. There are way more options out there now than there ever have been before. So just knowing what those choices are, and usually that's, you know, choosing fruits and vegetables, choosing things that are grilled or broiled or not things that are fried or in heavy sauces. And, and just knowing what choices to make will, will put you in a better place than you were before.
Yeah, excellent. And uh, so we're going to finish off there. But Steph, before we do, can you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and how they can get in touch? And what can you do to help them if there's somebody that's interested in whether it be to like get that to that next level with their triathlon by optimizing their nutrition or whether it be somebody who's uh, who's just getting into into triathlon and healthy eating in general and, and wants to to get the foundation in place what what sort of, how how does it work when you when you take on clients what what kind of work do you do with your clients yeah so there's a couple different approaches so one you can find me at rittersp.com you just go to the website you can find my picture there you can email me um, rittersp.com i've also so there's two different ways you can go about working with me one is one-on-one um, and that, you know, you can go to RitterSP.com and there's all the nutrition services there that we offer. But then there's another um, product, if you will, that would be pretty helpful to many athletes, no matter what level that they currently are. And it's called Athlete Nutrition RX. You get access to me. You get customized nutrient targets for both high and low intensity days. Uh, I've got recipes, meal planning templates. Um, there's a private forum and webinars on various topics, and you can sign up for a free trial. So all you need to do is go to rittersp.com forward slash nutrition rx, and you can sign up for a free trial there um, and check it out. Because I think, yeah, it's 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 a it's a great sort of. Um, it's a great sort of product to give, like I said, athletes at various levels access to me and access to tools to help them really get to the next level wherever they may already be. Yeah, that's great. Great stuff, Steph. I really enjoyed this conversation with you and you've been giving some really useful insight to the audience and I, I hope that, that they find it useful as well. Um, with that, let's end the show for today. And uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. And uh, Steph, thank you so much for coming on. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So just a very quick summary of this episode. Once again, just as in episode eight with Kim Schwabenbauer, which I, by the way, highly recommend that you go and listen to. The key point here, the key message is that it's agnostic healthy eating in the Matt Fitzgerald terminology, Matt Fitzgerald being one of the most well-known nutritionists and authors in the endurance space. Uh, but uh, I've used that term a lot as well here because I, I like it. I think that it really, really describes the what the way that you should eat as an endurance athlete well. So you should eat high quality, but uh, don't go on diets unless you have like ethical reasons or or really like compelling health reasons to, to do so. But like diabetes or something but but if not then just agnostic healthy eating and not really choosing not to eat certain food groups is is the way to go but again focusing on that high quality also i want to encourage you to go to scientifictriathlon.com if you scroll down a bit on the front page you can download an ebook that i wrote on nutrition for triathletes and i have some good charts that you can use as I talked about at the front of this episode about my own nutritional exper experiment you can find your range for what you need to get in terms of, of carbs and protein and, and calories 
from that ebook and some other tips as well. So so that's something that many listeners have or readers of Scientific Triathlon have have downloaded already and have I have gotten good feedback from that. So you can go to scientifictriathlon.com if you're interested. And uh, finally, one random thing that I thought that you might find interesting if you don't know it already. I want to give a big shout out to Eliud Kipchoge, who almost broke the sub-2 barrier for the marathon this last weekend by the time of this recording. And sure, it was technology aided and engineered, but he completely left two absolute marathoning studs in the dust, so nobody can say that it wasn't an absolutely remarkable endurance achievement by one of the greatest runners of all time. I bow my head to Mr. Kipchoge. I think that it was an amazing accomplishment and uh, I was really excited to see that. And uh, I know that it's not, it, it, it wouldn't have been a marathon world record because it's such an engineered situation, but that doesn't take anything away from the fact that Eliud Kipchoge had a fantastic performance. Absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, one more thing, I'm going to send out a round of emails next week to guests that I want to have on the show for these coming months. So if you have any requests for guests you want to have on the show, please contact me and uh, send me your feedback. A couple of guests that I already know, we haven't agreed on a date yet, but uh, uh, Steve Magnus and uh, Brad Stuhlberg will be coming on. They are the authors of Peak Performance, which is a new book coming out. And Steve Magnus is also, of course, a very famous uh, running coach and author in the running space. So that will be really exciting. And they will talk about peak performance in terms of like mental strength and uh, and setting you up in your day-to-day for performing well in endurance more so than the actual training. So I'm really looking forward to talking to them. So this has been a long episode once again. Uh, go to thattriathlonshow.com if you missed anything because we take all the show notes for you and they will be up in a few days' time. And in our next episode, we'll have Sean Jefferson on, who is a sub-four-minute miler on the track that turned to triathlon and is now blazing down the roads after swimming and biking, which he has taken to very well as well. So he's a professional triathlete, and we will talk specifically about running and run training for triathletes. If you're new to the show, go ahead and subscribe so that you don't accidentally miss any new episodes. We don't want that to happen, do we? Once again, thank you for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.